Thank you, Neil, for leading us. Uh, folks, I wanted to thank you as well. Um, when we sang together those opening couple of songs, your worship encouraged me. Maybe you sensed it too, that the, the voices of your brothers and sisters here uh, raised to, in praise to God were, were an encouragement to you. Let's pray before we come to God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that every part of it is helpful for us. You've given it as a gift to nurture us, for us to feed on, for us to grow in you. Uh, so we pray that this evening you would feed us on both word and sacrament. Uh, as we come now to your word, feed us, and feed us later then when we gather around this table. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, it's good to be back in 1 Thessalonians. We've had a couple of weeks of doing other things. Let me quickly remind you of what we need to know if we're to understand what's going on in this letter. When we introduced the series uh, a few weeks ago in January, we reminded ourselves of Paul's second missionary journey. It's, it's really the first time that he takes the, the gospel to Europe. So we flicked through, if you remember, a section of the book of Acts where Luke shows us how Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the good news of Jesus, as I say, first of all, for the first time to Europe. We, we traced very quickly the itinerary. Uh, Paul begins in Philippi before he comes to Thessalonica, and he moves on then from Thessalonica to Berea, Athens, Corinth, and finally Ephesus. The biblical scholars reckon this happened in AD 50, or 51, so less than 20 years after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. In the opening couple of verses here of chapter 2, Paul reminds his readers of what happened on his visit to Thessalonica. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now that he's reminded them in those opening two verses of this event, his visit to them and his sharing the gospel with them, he spends the next 10 verses from verses three, from verse three through to 12, giving his perspective on his ministry among them. And that's what we're gonna be thinking about here this evening. So we're thinking about Paul's ministry. In verse 8, Paul summarizes how he sees his ministry in the city of Thessalonica. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul boils the essence of his ministry down to two things. Sharing the gospel and sharing his life. Those are the two things we're going to think about this evening. So first of all, sharing the gospel. Notice how Paul is adamant about the place of the gospel in his ministry, right, right in, in this short letter. If you flick with me as back to chapter 1, verse 5 of chapter 1, he reminds the Thessalonians that the gospel he shares, it's not just another interesting 
intellectual idea. He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Sharing the gospel was costly for Paul. It required courage. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. We dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. Sharing the gospel wasn't a job that Paul took lightly. He understood that this was a God-given responsibility. And so he says, chapter 2, verse 4, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul then isn't keen to let anything get in the road of his gospel sharing ministry. And so he explains chapter 2, verse 9, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So there we are in the space of just 20 short verses at the start of this particular letter, we get a sense of how, how committed Paul is to the sharing of the gospel. When you take a step back and look at the, the whole of Paul's writings, the evidence just accumulates. For Paul, the best way to serve Jesus Christ, his Savior and his Lord, was to tell others the good news about him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, Romans chapter 1, because it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. If we take our eyes off the, the Pauline letters where he writes about himself, and, and when we look at the account of his life that Luke gives in the book of Acts, we discover that Paul really was a man of his word. He put his money where his mouth is. His life really was dedicated to preaching the gospel. We'll read about Paul there that he simply moved from city to city, preaching the gospel of Christ crucified and raised and establishing new communities of Jesus followers. He does it in one city. As soon as he's done it, he moves on and does the same again in another city. He doesn't change his career path. He doesn't come up with any new idea. He simply goes to one city and then to another preaching the gospel. Doesn't matter what the cost, doesn't matter what dangers he faces. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 how he suffered. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And he goes on. For Paul, it, it doesn't matter what his circumstances are, how they're playing out. So long as blood pumps in his veins, he's going to share the gospel. In our passage this evening, Paul does something a little bit different when he talks about the gospel. He doesn't talk about what I've just been talking about, his commitment, his passion for sharing the gospel. Instead, he talks about the care that he took in Thessalonica as he shared the gospel. He uses eight negatives. He tells us about eight temptations that he avoided or eight ways in which he took care in his presentation of the gospel. Trace them with me, beginning at verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from one error or two impure motives, nor are we three trying to trick you 
We're not trying to please people, number four. We never used flattery, number five, nor did we put on a mask, number six, to cover greed, number seven. We were not looking for praise from people, number eight. Isn't that quite something? Here's a self-aware preacher. Paul's thought long and hard about the dangers that come with preaching the gospel, the impure motives which threaten to ruin such a wonderful calling. We might sum up his position. I think it, it can be summed up in the, the last of the eight, the, the one there in verse 4. When he was preaching the gospel in Thessalonica with his friends, he can say, we weren't trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You've heard that expression that we need to learn to live before an audience of one. To live our lives only before the Father. Well, Paul says, I, I've tried to learn to preach before an audience of one. To preach in a way that pleases God, who can see my heart. Friends, when we look at uh, some of the leaders of Christian churches, even of evangelical churches who fall, my sense is they've maybe lost some of that care that Paul takes in these verses. Folks, whatever we are tonight and whatever this church becomes in the future, let's share Paul's passion for preaching the gospel and his care for how we do it. For all of God's people, in every time and in every place, the gospel is a non-negotiable, the story of God's incredible grace. Every generation, doesn't matter whether they were educated on a slate or an iPad, they need to hear this ancient and contemporary truth that God created us in love for himself. That though we walked out on him, he never walked out on us. That he sacrificed the dearest thing that he had when he sent his only son, Jesus, to die the death of a common criminal at the hands of cruel men. That God, in his grace, counted his son's suffering and death as a payment for our rebellion against him. That God raised Jesus then from the dead and put him at the center of the universe. That anyone who now accepts the lordship of Jesus Christ can be restored to a relationship with God. And that this is the fullest kind of life. A life eternal, not just in quantity, but in quality. This is the gospel. It doesn't change. This is the message that we preach today and must keep preaching tomorrow and until Christ returns. A few moments ago when we first looked at our text in verse 8, we said that Paul was summarizing his ministry in Thessalonica in two activities. We thought about the first, the sharing of the gospel. Let's turn now to the second, the sharing of his life. 
Look again at what he said. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. These two, I, I don't think they're two separate things in the end. I think for Paul to share the gospel is to share his life. The, the way Paul expands on this, we, we've noticed what he talked about his sharing of the gospel the way he chooses to talk about his sharing of his life is very interesting. There's a real intimacy in how he chooses to do this. He uses three familial metaphors. The first in verse 7. He says, we were among you like young children. At this point, he's contrasting his approach to gospel preaching with the preaching from improper motives that he's just refuted in verses 3 to 6. So in contrast to the kind of trickery and flattery and hypocrisy which adults so naturally fall into, young children have an innocence and a lack of guile and a humility. So Paul preached but shared his life with a child's humility. Also in verse 7, he shared his life with a mother's care. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Isn't that beautiful? This is no megachurch pastor connecting in an anonymous way with a worldwide audience via his podcasts. This is a mother sharing, caring for her children. It's not even just a mother, it's a nursing mother, no less. Is there any relationship more intimate, more nurturing than a, a mother with a child at her breast? Paul shared his life with a mother's care. He continues with this familial language uh, when he refers to the Thessalonians as brothers and sisters in verse 9, but he introduces his third ministry metaphor in verse 11. He says, You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I think there's a good deal of insight here into the role that parents can play in the lives of their children. I think, I think mothers do have that nurturing, caring role. At their best, fathers encourage their children. They inspire them to live their best lives, as we would say nowadays. And that's what Paul wants for the Thessalonians. He wants them to, to live their best lives, lives that are worthy of their calling as citizens of the kingdom of God. He encourages them to live for God's glory. Paul shared life with the Thessalonians as he encourages them with a father's encouragement. So when we take these together, Paul said he was like them, among them like a child, like a mother, like a father, 
It's incredibly personal, isn't it? This might not fit your picture of the Apostle Paul. He's often characterized as a, a rugged church planter or a, a rigorous theologian or a single-minded evangelist. But not here. Here we meet Pastor Paul, the one who was devoted to people. I've just finished reading a book uh, of Scott McKnight's entitled Pastor Paul. And he draws our attentions to lessons that we can learn about pastoral ministry from the apostle and pastor, Paul. He says the first element is that pastors nurture a culture of people. And people, not programs and pews and plans, are the focus. Let me read that again. He says, the first element is that pastors nurture a culture of people. And people, not programs and pews and plans, are the focus. Folks, this personal approach to ministry of Paul shouldn't surprise us. Paul is following in the footsteps of the master. Whenever Jesus came, when he brought the gospel to the world... He had a people-focused ministry. I, I love the, the way Mark records Jesus calling his first disciples in chapter 3, verse 14. Mark says that he called the 12 that they might be with him. Jesus just wanted some people with him. He brought them close to learn from him how to live life in the kingdom of God the life that his spirit would later empower them for. Jesus' ministry was personal. So before he gave his life for the world, he gave his life to a small number of people, those who followed him. And Paul now just follows in Jesus' footsteps. So when he speaks to Timothy, his, his young understudy, he says, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. When Paul says that, he's talking about the friendship, the relationship that he had with this young man, this young man with whom he shared his life. He says, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. Continue in the gospel, Timothy, because you know you can trust the one who taught it to you. This is Paul's way of doing ministry. He preaches the gospel and he authenticates it. He authenticates its transforming power in his own life as he shares that life with others. Paul believed that Jesus Christ was transforming him. And he believed that if a person followed his example, they live godly lives. That's why he can say, say Corinthians, chapter, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus is able to say, follow me. Paul can't 
quite say that. But he can say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Christian leaders, ministers and elders and youth and children's leaders, we want to learn to conduct ourselves in such a way that those around us see Jesus in us. When they copy us, they're coming closer to Jesus. Folks, in this passage this evening, we, we learn that Paul didn't just preach to the crowd, but that he also engaged in personal ministry. He shared the gospel, but also his life. Too often we divide word and life. On the one hand, we set aside our gospel preachers and we're content if they don't really share their lives with us very much. They've been gifted for preaching. They fill certain slots in a calendar. Uh, they, they preach in certain locations like church buildings. On the other hand, we have people who are brilliant with other people, but maybe without ever sharing the gospel. Their calendar's full of conversations with people, but maybe never make the introduction to Jesus that so desperately needed. We need to learn to do both, gospel and life, life and gospel. Folks, the truth is that sharing our lives and sharing the gospel aren't two separate activities. Entering into authentic relationships with people will only enhance our opportunities to share the gospel. A number of years ago in East Belfast, we had the privilege of hosting Rebecca Manley Pippert for a, a conference on personal evangelism. When Becky was addressing that conference, she talked about some of the fears that we have when we try to share the gospel personally. Long list of fears, of course. I don't know about you, I, I still have them. So she was, she was talking about some of them, and she identified this one. She said, if I come close enough to you to share my faith authentically with you, you'll see what I'm really like. You'll see my life and my flaws, and that'll put you off Christian faith. It's a very real fear. Maybe you recognize it. I, I can still remember Becky's answer to that question. She said, they will. They will see your flaws, and that's fine. That's exactly what we should expect in real and authentic relationships. And she went on to explain that the gospel isn't this. The gospel isn't, I'm perfect. I'm so together. I can't wait till you get to meet me. The gospel is, I'm so flawed. I'm so imperfect but I know someone who's forgiven me and who's transforming me and doing something in me. And I can't wait till you meet them. If you've never had the chance, I'd encourage you to read Becky's book, Out of the Salt Shaker, quite a, quite a good book for us today. We talked this morning about being salt and tonight we're talking about sharing the gospel and life. For over 40 years, God's used this book to encourage and inspire people. At, at one point in the book, 
Becky tells us the story of the first person she ever led to Christ. She records a conversation that she had with this woman some years later. Becky, I want to tell you what it was about you that really helped me to give my life to Jesus. Feel free, Becky thought, because she thought the woman was going to tell her something nice about herself. Becky, I used to wonder, how can someone say, I'm a Christian, I'm so perfect, but then I got to know you, and I saw your struggles, you shared your problems. Becky's talking, of course, about what we're talking about here this evening. Sharing our broken lives doesn't diminish the power of the gospel. Our brokenness only allows the, the gospel of grace to shine brighter. We're not trying to convert people to us. Praise God. We're trying to show them the grace God offers them in Jesus. Sharing the gospel, sharing our lives. Let me close this evening by asking you, as you've heard God's word this evening, might God be calling you to some new step? Sharing the gospel in your life. This church has young people and children's ministries crying out for leaders. Is God calling you? I'm going to say this. I don't mind what age you are. You can help us with our youth and children's ministry. Is God calling you to teach our children and young people and to share your life with them? If you respond to the call, you'll have an opportunity to do just that, to do both of those things. No ministry in the church is ever just a teaching ministry. It's always an embodied ministry. We, we bring our real persons to it. We share gospel and life. Speak to me if you'd be interested in that. Right throughout our church, we have either young adult believers who are not, not very strong in the faith because they're still young, or we have people who've recently come to faith and are not strong in their faith for that reason, would you be willing to get close enough to them to share your gospel and your life? We've already made vehicle for doing that. Join a discipleship group. You'll get a chance to meet some other people from your neighborhood every couple of weeks to share gospel and life together. We made a an invitation a few weeks ago just before and after Christmas for people who wanted to join us on a, a visiting team to go out and visit people to share the gospel and life with them. Around about 50 people so far have expressed an interest in that, in, in helping with that ministry. If you'd be interested in that, speak to Leslie. Folks, those are only a few suggestions for starters. I don't want to limit you to, to the, the vision that we have in this church. The Spirit could be bringing you something else. My question's still there. Might God be calling you to some new way of sharing the gospel and your life with others? I want you to imagine for a moment that time when you'll leave the Hamilton Road Church family. You'll leave it possibly because God calls you to go and be somewhere else. 
Or maybe it'll be at the very end of your life when the Father finally calls you home. Wouldn't it be great for each one of us then to be able to say to this church family what Paul was able to say to the folks in Thessalonica? Look again, verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you'd become so dear to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening, and we thank you what we've learned from the Apostle Paul as he's told us a little of how he understood his ministry, a ministry absolutely committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a ministry equally committed to sharing his life with the people who would hear it. Lord, we pray that we would be people who walk in your ways in this regard. We know that Paul was simply following the example of Jesus. So help us, each one of us, to, to grow in our desire to be people who share gospel and life. Lord, if we're those who are timid, afraid of, of speaking, we pray you'd give us courage. Help us to open our mouths when the time is right. Lord, if we're those who are reticent to get close to other people and rather stay at a distance, we pray you'd give us courage. Warm our hearts with love for others and compassion. Draw us to them and enable us to bless them. Lord, we pray that this would be a community that increasingly shares gospel and life with all those whom you bring to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.